Let's pray. Lord, we, we do thank you for this time. I thank you so much for all that you have done. We ask that you continue to move. Lord Jesus, you came, and uh, for that we can now experience you in this moment. You've given us your spirit, and so we ask that your spirit would move in our midst to draw us nearer to you, our God. May that be what happens in this time, and may we take it forth, our enjoyment of you from this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So many years ago, uh, there was a young college student. His name was Samuel Scudder. And uh, he approached the renowned Harvard professor, Louis Agassiz, asking to be tutored by him. Well, consenting to the young man's request, Agassiz immediately turned and pulled a small specimen off a nearby shelf and handed it to the student, saying, take this and look at it, and when I return, I'll ask you what you've seen. So after about 10 minutes, Scudder decided he'd seen all there was to see of the creature in the bottle and went in search of Agassiz. But the professor was nowhere to be found. So Scudder thought, well, I better return and keep looking at this little fish to see if there are other things I might have missed. Scudder says, half an hour passed, an hour, another hour. I turned it over and around, looked it in the face from behind, beneath, above, sideways, at three-quarters view. My two hands, my two eyes, and this specimen. It seemed a most limited field. Utterly bored and about to lose his mind from monotony, he thought to himself, well, well, maybe I should draw it. And so, with surprise, he discovered new things as he began to draw this small creature. A short while later, the professor returned and inquired, so, what is it like? He listened attentively to my brief rehearsal of my findings, Scudder said. And when I had finished, he waited as if expecting more. And then, with an air of disappointment, said to me, you have not looked very carefully. Why, you haven't even seen one of the most conspicuous features of the animal, which is plainly before your eyes. Look, look again. And he turned and left the room again. I was vexed. I was mortified. Still more investigation of this small creature that I was convinced that I had a thorough understanding of. So Scudder took a deep breath, set himself to the task with new determination, and to his surprise began discovering one new thing after another. Until, he says, I saw how just the professor's criticism had been. The afternoon, he says, passed quickly, and when toward its close, the professor returned, he once again inquired, do you see it yet? No, replied Scudder, I'm certain I do not, but I see how little I saw before. Well, satisfied, the professor said that was it for the day, and they both headed for home. The next morning, Scudder awoke, excited, assured that his lesson had been learned, 
and this wearisome task was behind him. So he asked his professor what he should do next. Oh, look at it again, said his professor, and he left the classroom. About an hour later, he returned, asked him what he had seen, and upon hearing the answer, Agassiz proclaimed, well, that's good, that's good, but that is not all. Look again for three long days. Scudder says, he placed that same specimen before my eyes, forbidding me to look at anything else. Look, 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 was his repeated injunction. This was the best lesson I ever had, a lesson whose influence has extended to the details of everything I've ever studied. Does the Christmas story ever seem like this to you? Now, I don't mean the presents and the, and the food and the festivities of Christmas. No, those things are easy to like, aren't they? But the story itself. You've heard it so many times. You've sung about it so many more times. And you've heard it sung more times than you can count. You think you know it backwards and forwards and inside out. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt or... In this case, the ugly sweater. Same story, different year. If you're being honest, you no longer really look at it. Like the student with the specimen. You think you've seen all there is to see. You know what this sermon is going to be about, and you just hope that it's short. But then you know I'm up here, so you're like, no. The danger here isn't being bored at Christmas. It's far worse. The danger is missing out on knowing more of God in Christ. It's thinking there's nothing more of him to be seen or known through Christmas, and so not pursuing a deeper knowledge and love of him in it. You see, the student in the opening story was missing so much of what could be known of the object because he'd stopped looking at it. And that was just a lifeless, finite fish. How much more so the infinite Son of God coming to earth. There's so much more to know of this event, so many ways of looking at it, at seeing with fresh eyes and a renewed perspective, which can lead to a deeper Fuller connection with your triune God. And that's the point. To be led to a deeper, fuller connection with God in Christ. That's what Christmas should do. Connect us more to him through reflecting on Jesus and what he did when he came to earth. Of seeing and savoring his glory. And so that is what I hope happens through this message. That through looking more intently at the cradle of Bethlehem and contemplating this most conspicuous feature of it, you'll be led to a deeper, fuller connection with God in Christ. This morning, 
as we continue in our study through John, we come to a most vital text for looking at and understanding the Christmas story. It's an aspect of the story that we sing often in our Christmas carols. So as we read this together, see if you can hear the familiar lines and choruses. John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, Noel, Noel, born as the King of Israel. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. The Son of God here born to bleed. A crown of thorns would pierce his brow. And we beheld his suffering. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. Son of God loves pure light. When Pilate heard the statement, he, he was even more afraid. We're then told that Pilate took Jesus in for further questioning, and, and after hearing Jesus' answers, he sought to set Jesus free. And so he brought Jesus out into the courtyard and said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. <laughs> so Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. Glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with his blood mankind hath bought. And with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, which, despite the Jews' protests, read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. From heaven to the cradle, from cradle to the cross, let heaven and nature sing, this is our king. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them. 
and for my clothing they cast lots. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. And also John. When Jesus saw them, he said to Mary, Woman, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, John took Mary under his care. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, the Jews asked Pilate to have their legs broken so that they could be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the others who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be borne for me, for you. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Myrrh is my, a bitter perfume, breathes the life of gathering gloom. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in a stone-cold tomb. Yes, this passage is directly related to and essential for a deeper understanding of the Christmas story. You see, the cradle was for the cross, and the cross makes possible a genuine celebration of the cradle and Christmas. We can only celebrate the cross of Calvary because of the cradle at Christmas, and we can only celebrate Christmas because of the cross of Calvary. 
You see, when the angel appeared to the shepherds in the field, he announced, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior is born, one who would save his people from their sins, as the angel proclaimed to Joseph. This is what the child came to do and to be. A Savior who would save his people from their sins. And so we must look at it again. Like the student in the laboratory, lest we too miss one of those most conspicuous features of this child and potentially miss a fuller, deeper understanding and experience of him. People needed to be saved from their sins. That is, everyone has sinned against God. We've all broken his law and despised his glory. Since God is infinitely holy and perfectly just, your sin must be paid for. His holiness must be vindicated and his justice must be upheld. Now, this could happen in one of two ways. Through either an appropriate punishment, the soul who sins shall die, and infinite torment for all of eternity, or by an in-kind payment by someone else, a substitute, a sufficient sacrifice given to both satisfy the justice of God as well as to release, to save the person from the penalty, the sentence of their sin, a Savior. Now you'll notice that I said this Savior must be a sufficient sacrifice. There are a few things that must be true of this Savior in order for Him to sufficiently satisfy the holiness and justice of God and to save His people from their sin. First, He must be human. Only someone truly human can represent human beings. He must also be sinless. Only someone truly without sin can satisfy the righteous requirements of God. If this sacrifice were himself sinful, he couldn't even pay for his own sin, let alone someone else's. Third, he must be infinite. You see, since sin is infinitely heinous, as it was perpetrated against an infinitely glorious God, the payment itself must be infinite. There's only one infinite being, God. He alone can be the Savior he is the only one who is worthy enough to pay the price for the sins of the many. And fourth, the Savior must actually pay the penalty for your sin. The Savior must willingly sacrifice himself, dying in your place for your sin. Do you see the correlation here? The Savior had to be simultaneously truly divine and truly human, born of a virgin. That's the cradle at Bethlehem. In order to die as a sufficient sacrifice for our sin, the cross at Golgotha. And this, this, this whole thing is what we celebrate at Christmas. 
the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. To all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, making peace by the blood of His cross. It's why He became human. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It's why he was born of a virgin. God made him who had no sin to be the sin offering for us, so that that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what the angels meant when they said a Savior is born who would save his people from their sins. He was born to be our sacrifice. He was born to be our sacrifice. This child is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The cradle at Bethlehem was for the cross at Golgotha. We can only celebrate the cross of Calvary because of the cradle at Christmas. Do you see that? Only because God became man and was born on Bethlehem's plain to be the infinitely worthy sacrifice on Jerusalem's hill. And when we look at it, what is happening in our passage this morning is this sacrifice is being offered. The Lamb of God is being offered. What transpires in this chapter was the plan for the baby lying in the manger long before he was ever conceived in the womb of Mary. Did you catch all those places here in John where John says to fulfill the scriptures? He's referring to Old Testament scriptures, prophecies all written before Jesus was ever born. All part of the plan. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. Whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. This is why Jesus came. The Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This church is why we can celebrate Christmas because of the cross of Calvary. As John Dunn says, Jennifer in her Advent devotion read this to me. It was great. He says, The whole of Christ's life was a continual passion. Others die martyrs, but Christ was born a martyr. His birth and his death were but one continual act. 
And his Christmas day and his Good Friday are but the morning and the evening of one and the same day. From the crash to the cross is an inseparable line. Christmas only points forward to Good Friday and Easter. It can have no meaning apart from that, where the Son of God displayed his glory by his death. We can only celebrate the cross of Calvary because of the cradle at Christmas. God becomes man, die for man. And we can only celebrate Christmas because of the cross of Calvary. This is why we sing of the cross in our Christmas carols. What child is this? What child is this who who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? Well, nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Jesus was born to die. This is good news of great joy. As the angels proclaimed in the fields. I was trying to picture it last night. Jen and I were listening to a a concert, a Christmas concert. Just the idea of these angels just appearing out of nowhere. You're cold, you're in the field. And these angels appear We have good news of great joy. Why? A Savior is born to die for you through his birth and sacrificial death. Get this Jesus saved us from our sins. He became a ransom for many. He purchased our forgiveness. He absorbed the wrath of God. He absorbed the wrath of God so that you didn't have to. He rescued us from final judgment. He canceled the legal demands of the law against you. He provided the basis for your justification. He reconciled us to God and brought us to Him. And He took away your condemnation. Hallelujah! That is good news of great joy. We're not going to hang our heads, oh, this is about Jesus' death. Do you realize what Jesus did? The greatness of this gift that he has given to you by coming to earth for you to die for you. Now, I've only scratched the surface here. (laughs) There's so much more to see of this good news. Look at it. Let's look at it again. We're just looking at it from one vantage point. And from this vantage point, there's so much more to see. In his book, 50 Reasons Jesus Came to Die, John Piper gives 50 reasons why 
Jesus came to die. Here's some more. More things that Jesus did in this one continual act of his extraordinary birth and sacrificial death. Jesus also achieved his own resurrection from the dead. That's what Wolf will talk about next week. He completed the obedience that becomes your righteousness. Think about that for just a second. He completed the obedience that becomes your righteousness. <laughs> Satan's going to be up there like, he didn't do that. God's going to say, nope. But Jesus did. He's covered in Jesus' righteousness. <sighs> Brought us to faith. He brought us to faith and he keeps us faithful. He made us holy, blameless, and perfect before God. He made us alive. He gives us a clear conscience. There's a gift for Christmas. I give you a clear conscience. He obtained for us all things that are good for us. He healed us from moral and physical sickness in the future. There's more. He gave us eternal life. Gave eternal life to all who believe. He delivered us from the present evil age. You're delivered from the present evil age. He made us his treasured possession. I don't feel treasured. You are. Jesus died to show you that you are his treasured possession. He treasures you. He treasures you. He provided confident access to the holiest place. He became our eternal high priest. He freed us from the futility of our ancestry. He obtained our adoption and inheritance. He freed us from the slavery of sin. Is this a gift? Should have done the mind-blowing thing, huh? He freed us, get this one, from bondage to the fear of death. Hallelujah. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's gone! Why? Because that baby was born in a field and he died for me. He died so that I don't have to fear death. He, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. They're like impotent folks. They're like, we got these. Where'd they go? 
We can't. We, I got nothing on them. I can't do anything to They can't do anything to you. They are disarmed. He crushed Satan. Mm. He ransomed people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He gained his joy and yours. He showed us that the worst evil, the worst evil, this was the worst evil, is meant by God for your good. And he showed you that you are loved, loved by the greatest being in all of existence, God himself. Look at it. Look, look, look. This is the beauty, the glory, the power, the immensity and majesty and resplendence of the gift of the Lamb of God in Bethlehem. Tomorrow is Christmas Day. Now, I, I love our Christmas mornings at the Churchill House. It's filled with an abundance of tradition. The first thing we do and have always done on Christmas morning is we sleep in. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, I'm so jealous. We sleep in. And then at some point, whenever we wake up, we put on the album Winter on the Moors. I can hear the music in my head. as that music, those first strains fill the air, comfort and peace and, and joy. And then once we've woken up and listened to that, we dig into our candy-filled stockings. Way too much candy. And after that, Jen begins cooking breakfast. We have bacon. Do I need to say anything else? No. It's bacon. Well, we have dirty eggs, so that's eggs and bacon grease. That's good. And then we have, well, some more bacon. And we have pancakes with strawberries and whipped cream and, get this, bacon. <laughs> After breakfast and before opening the gifts, the central part of our Christmas morning tradition each year is to sit down together and do a devotion where we read and discuss a passage of Scripture about the birth of Jesus. Now, I must admit that more than once I've been just like that student, thinking to myself, same old, same old. I had become, dare I say, bored with the story and stopped looking for more. More in the story and for more of the one in the story. The limitations that I felt, well, they're not in the story, but they were in me and my own laziness and my small thinking. If I would only move past that and look again, 
I would find this one, this baby in the manger, this lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. I would find that he is infinite. He, his depths, his goodness, his love, his joy is limitless. There are unending riches in him to be known and enjoyed. So tomorrow is, well, it's the first day of Christmas. It's the first day we celebrate this gift of Jesus. I encourage you to look at, as David Geringer so well put it, the amazing self-emptying and sacrificial death of Jesus that far surpasses any physical gift that any of us will receive this Christmas or any Christmas. Look at it with your family tomorrow morning and then respond by giving Jesus the gift of your adoration. Oh, come, let us adore him. That would be good, as the professor said. But that is not all. It's only the first day of Christmas. Guess what? There's 12. What? And you can actually celebrate Christmas all year long if you want. I'm just saying. It's on Tuesday. I encourage you, look at it again. Look at it and respond in gratitude as we are grateful to those who give us gifts. How much more grateful can we be to the one who gave us the gift of his son? In this, the love of God was made manifest. You ready? You ready? What? Wait, what? What? What was the love of God made manifest to me? It's in this. That God sent his only son into the world. The cradle. So that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son in the cradle to be the propitiation for our sins on the cross. Day two. There's a third day of Christmas. I'm not going to do all 12. Don't worry. They're like, what time is that? On the third day of Christmas... And the fourth and the sixth. Well, there's a wedding on the sixth day of Christmas. That's exciting. We can look at it at Jesus at the wedding. And on the 10th and on the 12th and on the 57th and 142nd, second, second, second. We can look at it again. Look, look, look. I want you to look at it and respond in praise and exaltation for God the Son who willingly emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, we're in the therefore stage now, folks. Woohoo! Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No wonder the angels sang. Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God. That is just a peek at the gift of Christmas. May it take you deeper and fuller into the presence of your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son as a gift that we might live through him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you for volunteering to take on human flesh, to be born a helpless child in order to die for us. We thank you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring us to remembrance of these truths tonight and tomorrow and again later tomorrow and again later tomorrow and all next week and all next month and all next year, Lord. That you would remind us that our hearts would rejoice at the glory of the cradle and the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.